Good morning. You know, I enjoy the foyer talk that we do or the NPR talk, the multi-purpose room talk that we do before and after church services every Sunday morning, night, and Wednesday night. It's a time of reunion. It's a time for us to be able to uh, see each other again and to meet those that we haven't seen before. And there's great value in that. It is part of that stimulating the love and good deeds that Hebrews 10 and verse 24 is talking about. But whenever we have the opportunity to do more, to be able to see each other more and to spend more time together, what a blessing it is. I'm so grateful for the church, vision, uh, church family vision group and how they provide opportunities for us to be drawn closer together, to be edified and built up. We have an opportunity like that. It was one of our first memories when we moved here in 2019 to be able to convene together down at Big Reedy, a great place to go down and to spend time together where you can get past the hi, how are you, fine, how are you, have a good week, you too, and to be able to see each other and know each other on a deeper level. I hope if you have not yet made the plans to do so or haven't signed up that you'll do that as we have the opportunity in our family retreat this weekend to spend precious and wonderful time together. Economists and house experts are indicating to us that there is a change in trends that is coming up in the housing market. Maybe you've heard all about people saying this, that there is a shift that's going to be decided to it being a buyer's market. And they point to factors. They say that the inflation rates that are actually ascending much higher than economists predicted that they would or should, and and then mortgage costs are, are causing the competition to shrink. And there's concerns about how that might impact the housing market. Some of these same set experts are telling us that those areas of the country that saw the sharpest incline in house prices during the pandemic are those that might feel the impact of that fall the most. What they're saying, I suppose, in some sense is that it's possible for a house's value to be overinflated. That may be true of houses, and we've seen it in the past in what they call the Great Recession of 2007 through 2009. We saw something like this, that there were some places in the country where house values fell 37%. Over six years, it was such a pronounced recession that some of the European countries defaulted on their national debt, and that there was a concern, especially for people who had to sell a house during that time. Or for those who found themselves in economic hardship. And I know some people who had to walk away from their homes because of the price of the mortgage and the recession of the time. That's an uncertainty when it comes to houses. And there are things that are unforeseen, things that we don't know how to plan for sometimes. But I am so comforted in the fact that that is not true when it comes to the home. One of my favorite uh, fairy tales when I was a little kid was the story of the three little pigs. And the moral of that story is that determination and hard work pay off. And the third pig especially gives us this principle as he builds that brick house. And even the big bad wolf with all that he tried to do could not overcome a home that was built and prepared adequately. 
When we see it in fairy tales, and we can see it even in real life examples in economics, we realize that the Bible is going to tap into where we live. And so you'll often find a house analogy being used by Bible writers. No less than Jesus himself in the greatest sermon that was ever preached chose this analogy, this illustration to come to an end, a crescendo, that great sermon when he talks about the fact that the foundation of our lives is going to be built on something. And the Apostle Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 10 and verse 11 that there is no foundation that can exceed or match that of Jesus Christ himself. And so when we look at Solomon's words in Proverbs 24, and I appreciate the reading that was just done so well by Mike, and when we look at Proverbs 24, I don't know that Solomon is thinking exclusively of our homes. I believe it's a broader principle, but I believe it's a principle that applies to our home when he says that by wisdom a house is built and by understanding it is established and by knowledge all of its rooms are filled with pleasant and precious riches. I want to submit to you this morning that in that great text, there are three principles that we can incorporate into our homes, and if we do, we can guarantee that their value will increase over time. Will you notice them with me? As we look at those three principles, first of all, we see that we must build our house or our homes on wisdom. We must build our homes on wisdom. By wisdom, a house is built. The Knapp Hower is in Scotland and it is the oldest known building. It is the longest standing house in the history of the world. The best estimates by those who do archaeology work on it have determined that it was built in 3600 BC. And this house is really two stone buildings that are joined together by a passageway between those two walls. And it is so incredibly built and it has been so well preserved that the stone cupboards and the stone hearth are still intact in that house. They have enough evidence out of that house that they are able to tell us with certainty that these were farmers, equestrian farmers who we know what they raised and we know how they lived. It's fascinating. It's fascinating to think that that house was built 5,600 years ago. For perspective, that's 1,200 years before the flood. That's 1,500 years before Abraham lived. Now that's a sturdy house. You know, the psalmist talks about the fact that we can have a house that's built sturdy, a house that's built well. And so when we look at Psalm 127, that's actually a psalm that's written by Solomon. And I think that Solomon is probably referring to the temple in, uh, in its context because these are in the Songs of Ascent. These are the songs that people sang on their way to the temple. And so when Solomon begins in Psalm 127 by saying, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. But if that's true of God's house, the temple, it is certainly true of our house, our homes. And so the psalmist would point out to us that there are things that we might build our homes on. And in Proverbs he says the same. And in Scripture we get the same principle that there are other things we may build our homes on. We may build our homes on educational prowess. We may build it on athletic performance. We may build our homes on personal happiness or financial security. 
But when you see what the psalmist says in the second part of that psalm, Solomon says that the true treasures upon which to build a house with God's help are your children and your grandchildren. As Solomon looks for us throughout the book of Proverbs, he tells us, he says, you can look into different houses and you can see certain things that can be found inside the doors. If you look in the book of Proverbs elsewhere, you'll see him saying that there are some houses that are built upon unethical and illegal financial dealings. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 27. He says you can look at another house and you can see prosperity, but there's constant fighting and tension inside. Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 1. You can look inside of a house and you'll see a contentious woman and you'll probably find her husband up on the roof. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 9. You can look in other houses and you can see wickedness found inside. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 12. You know, it is obvious that there are so many that never uh, consult the only expert and perfect house builder. But when Solomon is speaking to us about what a home ought to be built on, what a house ought to be built on, he says that the foundation is wisdom. And I find it very interesting that he goes on and in that chapter he talks a lot about wisdom. If you'll look at what he says about wisdom, you'll find him saying at least four things. And these things are helpful for us in our general life, but they are extremely helpful for us in our homes. You'll notice that he says, first of all, that you need wise guides. He says in verse 6 that by wise guides, a war is won, and by many counselors, there is victory. Now, he's probably talking in a literal sense that there is a a wisdom that's found when you're trying to protect your nation by finding those people around you that can help you to succeed. But if that's true for a nation, it's certainly true for the home. We need wise guides if we are going to build the kind of homes that will increase in value over time. Well, how can we do that? You know, as we look around for role models in our lives, we can look for those individuals in their home that are putting the Lord first. These are not things that happen accidentally. We can look at families who are putting Christ and His church at the forefront of their lives. We can look at other individuals and we can see those men and women that have a happy and healthy marriage. We can spend time with them and we can emulate them and we can learn from them. Isn't that what Solomon would exhort us to do as we're trying to find the wisdom that will help us through this world? We need to find those guides, those counselors that can help us to make the decisions. He says in Proverbs 15 and verse 22 that without consultation our plans are frustrated, but with many counselors they succeed. You need wise guides. But he'll also say something else in verse 7, and that is that you need to pursue wisdom with much effort. In verse 7, this idea is that there is a difference between the incidental and the haphazard and the occasional and the intentional rule. Just like we need the right kind of role models and guides in our lives, we've got to make sure that we're putting forth our very best effort. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto us. That's true of financial prosperity. It's true of homes that are built whose value will increase. You know, whatever we say 
Jesus says that our heart betrays what means the most to us, Matthew 6, verse 19 through 21. Harvard Business Review says that every skill that you try to improve on takes on average six months for there to be a measurable change that you can see, and it takes longer for others to see and appreciate it. They also say that for every 100% change that you make in your life, people outside of you only see about 10% of that. When we think about building the kind of homes that God wants us to build, when we make a determined effort day after day, and we say that this is what matters the most, we're going to build on the rock-solid foundation of God's guidance in His Word through that hard effort. It's going to pay off, and our home's value will increase to those around us. We also see the remainder of that chapter in the last 12 verses. Solomon indicates to us that we need to listen to the sayings of the wise. These are general admonitions. But I find it remarkable that these things that are said in a general sense are are things that can help us all. He would say things like, Do not let the wicked feel like that they're okay in their sins. Be honest in your dealings with others. Plan and prepare for the future. Treat your neighbors right. Don't be lazy. You know, these principles that guide us in our dealings with other folks are going to help our homes to be so much stronger. But you know, it's not just about what you avoid. This wisdom that Solomon is urging on his son is a wisdom that can help us to find true success. He indicates there in the middle of that chapter that you benefit from wisdom. You look at verse 13 and verse 14, he likens it to honey. He says, son, eat honey for it tastes good and the comb is sweet to the taste and so is wisdom for your soul. It will give you a future and it will give you a hope. I think about how important this is in a world where it is trying to tell us what true success is and how it's measured. And our family is influenced by that. And what they cannot see when we're overshadowed by the world is what will bring hope. What will make life better? Solomon says God has given us wisdom. The wisdom that is from above is first pure and peaceable. It is gentle. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It is unwavering. It's without hypocrisy. James 1 and verse 17. He says let God demonstrate to you the benefits that come to your life by wisdom. And we need that in a world right now where it's hard to see hope. Our homes are trying to conduct themselves. These are Christian homes to be a light in a dark world and we need God's wisdom to help us with that. I read about Albert and Rita Credian who left their Pentacton uh, British Columbian home to explore the great northwest of the United States. And as they were last seen in early March buying gas in Baker City, Nevada... Folks lost track of where they went from there. They wound up about 20 miles east of State Road 225 in a national forest in Nevada in what hunters say is probably one of the most remote areas of the entire lower 48. And there in that area, they got stuck in the snow. Albert tells Rita that she needs to stay with the van and he goes to try to get help. They're at 5,700 feet above sea level and he climbs to 81 feet high at Mount Merritt, seven miles from the van when he collapses in eight feet of snow. Elk hunters would find him in October. But there's Rita left in that van wondering if Albert's going to come back. And she's found on May 6th by hunters 
She's alive. She's wrapped in a blanket and she's asked, how is it that you survived? She said, well, I got out of the van and I walked each and every day. I had books to read. And she said, I never gave up hope that I was going to be found. You know, hope makes the big difference in whether we face life with doubts and fears or whether or not we believe that we're going to make it. As Solomon looks into our homes He helps us with this principle that the first element that will make our homes skyrocket in their value is wisdom, divine wisdom. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. But then there's a second element that he indicates to us that will cause our homes to increase in value. He says that we must establish our homes with understanding. You start in that analogy, that metaphor with a foundation, and then you build something on it. And what you build it, the material is understanding, discernment, the ability to understand between right and wrong. And as you do that, there's material, that, that there's a result that comes. You are established, you're stable, you're secure. Well, Solomon looks at that and he indicates to us that as we build, we help our families if we can teach them at least two things. And I, th- I think it's interesting that Solomon helps us in another book with that. Solomon goes through the great experiment of life. He's trying to answer a very basic question. And that is, what is the purpose of this life? And he goes about it by looking in a lot of different ways. And he's going to come ultimately to the right conclusion. But the question is the question that you and I ask in our homes all the time. And those two questions are, what is this life all about? The second question is, what comes after this life? As Solomon is searching for that, we see him in that first question that he asks, and he is trying to understand what this life is all about. He uh, comes to the right conclusion in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13 when he says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. It may be that we see that life is all about earning money and retiring and dying. Solomon thought that too. But when he comes to this proper conclusion, it makes the biggest difference that these things are a means to an end and not an end in themselves. As he looks not only at the idea that uh, life is not all about material things, we also see that life is not all about self. It's very difficult in uh, the world of selfies, in the world where we are so focused on the individual, it's hard for us not to come to that conclusion. And that can be a, a principle that lives in the home. The idea that life is all about me making sure that I'm focused on what I can be on my happiness and on living life without sacrifice and without cost. I don't want pain at all. And yet Bible writers tell us that an outward focused life is a way to live a fulfilling life. In Philippians 2, 3, and 4, where we focus on the interests of others and not just on our own interests, to be able to say with the Apostle Paul, in Philippians 1 and verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In our homes, we not only can help to increase their value, but we can help those homes around us when they see us living an other-centered life. What is life all about? It's about the true riches of heaven. It is about focusing on other people and how to encourage them and to help them. But then he also is going to come to the conclusion about what happens after this life. 
Solomon follows up that purpose statement in Ecclesiastes by saying that God will bring everything into the judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or evil. Solomon understood that this is a dress rehearsal for the ultimate reality. And what a difference it makes in our homes and in our lives when we realize that this is not the final stopping point. That this life is about preparation for eternity. And when we get a hold of that principle, it will impact so many different areas of our life. An inexhaustible number of things, but just consider a couple of them with me. If I live in view of the judgment... Will it make me more forgiving of others? If I understand that I live under a Lord who has forgiven me of such a great debt, won't it impact how I treat the others in my home and everyone else that I come in contact with? Jesus saw this as an important principle. And so in that parable in Matthew chapter 18, verse 32 through 35, you have Jesus focusing on the forgiven slave who turns to his fellow slave and was unmerciful toward him And so his master, his Lord, calls him into an account and he said, I forgave you of a great debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have also forgiven your fellow slave when he pleaded with you? And so the Lord, angry with that man, delivered him over to the tortures till he could pay what he owed. And Jesus says, and so shall my heavenly Father treat those who do not forgive one another from the heart. In the home dynamics, we're going to hurt one another. We're going to violate the trust of one another. And it can be a very difficult thing, but in view of the judgment, one of the things that we see is that it's so valuable for us to appreciate the importance of being forgiving people. Ephesians 4 verse 32, we're to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven us. If I'm living in view of the judgment, will it not also make me more urgent to share Christ with others? If I realize that the only thing that is going to save my lost neighbor, my lost relative, my lost classmate and co-worker and friend is the sacrifice of Jesus, then I'm going to share with an urgency that realizes that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And not only do we want to be prepared, but we want to be homes that prepares others to share the good news with those that are lost. If I live in view of the judgment, I'll share Jesus with others. But if I live in view of the judgment, I'm also going to focus on purity. And the purity that seems to impact homes in the greatest way is the matter of sexual purity. If I understand that I'm going to give an account for the deeds that are done in the body, I'm going to be very careful about being sexually pure. Paul wrote to new Christians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in verse 3 and he says, I I want you to possess your vessels, your bodies with sanctification to avoid sexual immorality. And he says that you don't defraud one another, uh, your brothers with regard to this, but you live holy and honorable lives. And in doing so, you'll not live like the pagans who do not know God. There was a railroad worker some years ago named Phineas Gage And he was involved in a freak accident in which an um, iron rod was driven through his head. He survived the accident, but it changed him. The people who knew him says that he was forever altered. His personality was changed as the result of that damage. He was moody and temperamental. Did you know that neuroscientists tell us that the same things happen with those who are engaged in and are addicted to pornography? 
that it creates a change in the brain. It causes deterioration in the brain's size and in its chemical balance. That through pornography there is sexual dysfunction, there is cognitive problems, there are lack of motivation, there are so many impacts on a person and in their engagement in and in their addiction to it. They find themselves with a low view of self and a low view of others. And it harms and ends friendships and relationships. When we think about building valuable homes, we must build it, establish it with understanding that we cannot sin and it not have an impact on us and others in, by way of sexual immorality. And the same is true with regard to fornication and adultery. And the Hebrews writer says in Hebrews 13 and verse 4, that marriage is honorable in all and the marriage bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. When one commits adultery, one lays out before themselves and their relationships betrayal and isolation and hurt, and the difficulty doesn't usually end with the couple, but it spills out to the children in the home. Sex outside of marriage, fornication, is that which impacts our relationship with God, our relationship with ourself, our relationship with the one with whom we do this, with the world and with the church. Solomon says, will you live with understanding? If you will build your home on the foundation of wisdom, you can establish it with understanding. And understanding unlocks the key to a greater and a happier life, success and security. And here's the beautiful thing about it. You know, you've been through this, haven't you? Maybe it's through a storm or maybe it's just through age and time that your home begins to wear down and it's time to replace one of the big systems, one of the big items, whether it's your AC unit or your roof or perhaps it's even something major like the foundation. If you were to try to put it on the market without improving it, you would find that that home value has decreased. But you get the right person in there and you make the repairs, ultimately that home can be worth more than it was before the trouble began. Do you know the same is true with regard to our homes? Far better not to have to go through some of those traumas, but on the other side of that, if we make proper repair, our homes can continue to increase in their value. Solomon would tell us the second element of this is equally true, that by understanding a home is established. But then third, will you notice with me that we must fill our homes with knowledge. All right, so if we look at this analogy, this metaphor, we have a foundation, we have uh, uh, walls that protect that home, and then there's the contents that go inside. You know, Kathy and I have uh, always gone to consignment shops and antique uh, stores, but we've done that more since the boys have left home. And it's, it's kind of fun to try to find the pieces that can help to fill your rooms in various ways. Maybe it's a practical need or maybe it's just something that's an accent piece. And so maybe you're looking for a, a tray to put the dehydrator on or maybe it's a cabinet to put dishes inside of or, or maybe it's a, a card table for the den. And, and looks and value are are maybe important, but you, you want something that really is something that's memorable, that you enjoy, that really makes that house a home. Solomon is saying that we can fill those rooms with something, but the very best thing that we can fill our home with is with the Word of God. 
If you think about the pleasant and precious riches that come, they come through what the psalmist says in Psalm 1 and verse 2, that the blessed man's delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. Our family sees us watching television every day. They see us on our phones all the time. How often do they see us bent over the Bible in study of his word? And yet of all the things that we will do, what will benefit our homes more than filling the, every room of the house, not just with little placards we put on the wall with scriptures on it, but by the word that we're putting into our hearts and into our lives? And as it transforms us, as we study God's word, they're going to be able to tell by our speech. Our speech is going to be purer. It's going to be more Christ-like. They can tell in our attitude and our demeanor. They'll be able to tell in our being that we look more like Christ. Just cracking open a Bible without a reformed and a changed life can in fact be repulsive. But when we incorporate God's word into our lives, what a difference it makes and the value of our homes. For our homes to be reservoirs of knowledge, not in some arrogant way, where we're focused on, look at what I know about the Bible. But when we take the Bible into our hearts, we digest it, and then we begin to process it by making practical application in our lives. What a valuable home we become to the glory of God. 2 Peter chapter 1 talks about all the blessings that come through knowledge. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, that God's word gives us access to an understanding and knowledge of anything that matters eternally. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, it gives us an appreciation for God's good and precious promises. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, it gives us the key to a fruitful life. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 11, and it gives us insight into what's really the most important. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 12 through 15. What valuable vessels the home are when they're filled with knowledge. I don't know if you're in the market. I don't think it's for sale. But the house that is the most expensive, most valuable home in the world is Buckingham Palace. The estimate right now is it's worth $6.7 billion dollars has 775 rooms, has 78 bathrooms. You and I will probably never be able to buy Buckingham Palace. But we can have a house whose value far exceeds that. When we think about what we said at the very beginning of this lesson, the beautiful thing is that even the reverses of this life do not keep our homes from building in value. Back in the Great Recession, when house values dropped by 37%, those who held on to their houses ultimately saw that those values exceeded 59% of what they were at the beginning of the Great, or at the, at the height of the Great Recession. God is the perfect home inspector. And as He looks into our homes, He says, Look, allow me to show you how to cause your home to skyrocket in its value. Build it upon the divine foundation of that wisdom which is from above. Put up those walls of understanding, not to keep others out, but to build the kind of home that protects all those who are inside and fill each and every room with the beauty and the truth of knowledge. In doing that, you have a home that will not only bless the people inside, but the people who come in contact with it. The thing is, there's another home and God wants you to be a part of that. He calls it the house of God. 
1 Timothy 3 and verse 15. He would like nothing more than for you to be a son or daughter of his in that home with all the rights and privileges that come by being in the house of God. He tells us how to make that possible. He's given the grace and the sacrifice that allows us to have access to those blessings. He asked us to believe that he is the Son of God, Jesus, to repent of sins and to be baptized. If you're ready to do this this morning, to become a child of God, we're ready to help you. If perhaps it is that you need to make things right with your brothers and sisters in God's house, and you need to do so publicly, then we would encourage you to come right now as we stand and sing.